I think I'm going to have to start selecting songs that I don't like <laughs> so that I'll be sure and have enough voice. Just about uh, used it all up. I think I've probably only got about an hour and 15 minutes worth <laughs> left. Which is really sad, I know. <laughs> Let me ask you a question that you'll probably find hard to answer. How many people do you love? How many people do you love? Now you may start in your mind running through a list. Family, friends, favorite people, preachers, surely. <laughs> Just thinking of different people, you know, that you would readily say that you love. Or you may find yourself asking, what do you mean by love? Because we all understand that love, all love is not the same. And we don't love everyone that we love even in the same way. But according to Jesus, the real question is not how many people do you love, but how willing are you to love people? That's the real question. Matthew 22, 34 to 40 is parallel to the text we talked about last Sunday in Mark 12. We looked at that last week. But there are some differences. A lot of similarities, but there are some differences. The same question is asked, which is the great commandment in the law, although in Mark it's worded this way, which commandment is the most important of all? The intent in asking it is the same. Verse 38 says that they ask it to test him to see if they could get him to say something that would open him up to accusation. And Jesus' answer was the same. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, last Sunday, we didn't address the second part of that. But it is equally as important as the first, Jesus says. Second is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. The loving God part, as we pointed out last week, comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. The love your neighbor part comes from the book of Leviticus, chapter 19 and verse 18. It sometimes surprises people to find out that the law of Moses taught both. The law of Moses didn't just give a bunch of rules. The law of Moses said love God, and the law of Moses said love other people. Jesus brings the two together, and he wants us to understand that you cannot have one without the other. You cannot be a lover of God unless you are one who loves people too. And then in Matthew's version of it, in chapter 22 and verse 40, he adds this statement that's not found in Mark. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now the word depend literally means hang. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the same word that's found in Acts 5 in verse 30 when it says that Jesus was killed by hanging him on a cross. So he says all the other commandments hang 
on these two. And the idea seems to be that like the hinges of a door, love for God and love for neighbor are what makes the whole thing work. Everything else turns on that. Everything else is an extension of that. Every other commandment in the law of Moses was an extension of one of those two commandments. It's all about loving God, and it's all about loving your neighbor. Paul put it this way in Romans 13, beginning of verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And he's not saying that love is substituting emotion for right behavior. But he's saying that uh, when we love someone, that will lead to right behavior. Having that love for others will lead us to do the right thing. If it doesn't lead us to do the right thing, it isn't really love. When we love God and we love others, we want to do the right thing by them. Now, this principle is so important that Scripture does not leave it to our imaginations to understand it. What does it look like to love your neighbor? What does that look like? If all of the law and the prophets depend on that commandment along with the one to love God, what does it look like to love your neighbor? And so, first of all, Scripture tells us what we don't do if we love our neighbor. Things you will not do if you love your neighbor. Remember that Jesus, when he said, love your neighbors yourself, was quoting Leviticus 19, verse 18. But I want you to back up and look at the verses leading up to that. You heard them read earlier, verses 9 through 17, because verse 18 is the conclusion of, of a paragraph about loving your neighbor. And in verses 9 to 17, he says things like this. Don't reap everything in your field. Leave some of it there for the poor. Don't take all the grapes out of your vineyard. Leave some there for the poor, for people who don't have any way to take care of themselves. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't swear falsely. Don't rob by oppression. Don't withhold wages from a hired laborer. Not even overnight, because he needs that to eat and feed his family. Don't take somebody's garment in pledge. Don't curse the deaf. Don't put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Don't do injustice in court. Don't defer to the rich. And don't, don't favor the poor. Do the right thing. Don't slander, he says. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Don't take vengeance. Don't bear a grudge. But, verse 18, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So all those things in verses 9 to 17 are saying this is what people who love their neighbor as themselves do not do. They do not do things like that. They do not do those things that are listed there. Loving your neighbor means not doing things that will do harm to your neighbor or in any way mistreat your neighbor or in any way wrong your neighbor. So loving your neighbor is fulfilled by not doing all of those things. But it doesn't just stop there because Scripture also tells us what we will do if we love our neighbor. And this we get from Jesus himself. In Luke 10, verses 25 to 28, there's an episode very similar to, to Mark 12 
into Matthew 22, but it's obviously a different occasion. On this particular occasion, uh, again, a lawyer asks a question to test Jesus, but it's not the same question as in Mark 12 and Matthew 22. The question this time uh, is, what must I do to have eternal life? It's a different question. And Jesus says, how do you understand the law? What does it say? And he, the lawyer, not Jesus this time says, the law says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's the lawyer who says it in Luke 10, not Jesus, as in Matthew 22 and in Mark 12. And when he said that, Jesus said, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the story doesn't end there. Because the lawyer's persistent. And he says, but who is my neighbor? You know what I think he's wanting to do? I think he's wanting some kind of narrow definition of neighbor. I think he's wanting to find out, okay, if that's what the law says, who am I obligated to love? Let, let's narrow this thing down. Let's get specific about it. Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells him the parable that we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. One of his most memorable. There was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers. And they mugged him. They beat him and they left him for dead. And as he was lying there, right on the, on the border between life and death, Along came a priest, a devoutly religious man. Someone you would have thought that if anybody's going to do the right thing, it'll be this guy. Should have been. But when he saw that man lying there in the ditch, the Bible says he crossed to the other side of the road and passed on by. A little while later comes a Levite. Another religious man, maybe on his way to Jerusalem to officiate in the temple to serve there. He says, sees the man in the ditch. He does the same thing as the priest. He not only doesn't help him, he goes to the other side of the road. Now, I think the reason that both of them did that, the priest and the Levite, is because they, they probably were planning to officiate in some way. They wanted to be ritually clean, and they couldn't run the risk of going over and touching this man and finding out he's dead because then they'd become unclean. So they would rather leave him there and let him die than risk their purity. Along comes the Samaritan. Now, if you were in Jesus' audience that day and you heard him say that, you would be thinking, well, here comes another bummer. This guy's not going to do the right thing. But along comes a Samaritan and he sees the man lying in the ditch and he goes over and he ministers to him and he pours on oil and wine all the first aid that he had to give to the man and he bound up his wounds and he put him on his own animal and he took him to the nearest Holiday Inn and... He went into the manager and he gave him his credit card and he said, take care of this man and I'll be back. And anything that he needs, just charge it to me and I'll take care of it. And then Jesus asked the lawyer, 
Which of these three do you think proved to be neighbor to the man? And he said, the one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Now, remember his original question. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law say? He knew what the law said. It says, love God and love your neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? And the parable says, your neighbor is everybody that you're willing to be a neighbor to. He wanted to find out, who am I obligated to serve? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, no, that's not the issue. The issue is in you. The issue lies with you. The issue is, to how many people are you willing to be neighbor? And your neighbor, it turns out, is anyone who needs your help. The neighbor turns out to be anybody that you're willing to go out of your way and inconvenience yourself and take some risk to do good, whoever that is, even if it's a Samaritan. Because you see, had that man been conscious, he probably, he probably would have despised that Samaritan, assuming that he's a Jew. He probably would have despised that Samaritan. And the Samaritan knows that. But he helps him anyway. Why, Jesus said, because he had compassion. He had compassion. So when we're willing to have compassion on people, we are loving our neighbors as ourselves. Now, Jesus knew this wouldn't be easy for us. It's not easy. Think about it. It's really not easy. Think about all the people you encounter in a week. And a lot of them you don't feel very compassionate toward, do you? Okay, we've got three honest people out there shaking their head. All right? You just don't feel compassionate toward everybody, you know? We get impatient with people. We get frustrated with people. We sometimes get angry with people. And compassion is not just something that surges to the forefront of our minds. And so Jesus, knowing that this was going to be hard uh, for us, shows us just how far we are to go in loving others in Matthew 5, verses 43 to 48, when he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what you've heard was said. He's talking to these people in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you've heard that said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the Old Testament said, we've already seen that, Leviticus 19, 18. The Old Testament said, love your neighbor. It never said, hate your enemy. Never said that. Now, a lot of people inferred that. Well, if we're supposed to love my neighbor, then what about everybody who's not my neighbor? I guess I'm supposed to hate them. The separatist Jewish group known as the Essenes, who lived at a place called Qumran out by the Dead Sea, actually wrote that into their rules. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. They're the only ones we know that put it in writing. But I suspect a lot of other people felt that way. And, and for most people in Jesus' day, your neighbor would be your fellow Jew. That's who your neighbor would be. It would be your fellow Jew. For the, the Qumran separatists, it was the, your fellow member of the community. You love your neighbor and you hate everybody else. Everybody else is the outside. Everybody else is the world. Everybody else is the enemy. So Jesus says, this is what you've heard. This is what you've had drummed into you. This is what's in your consciousness, that you love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
And then he uttered one of the most remarkable things anybody ever said. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We've heard that so many times it doesn't strike us as unusual. But let me tell you, there were not a lot of people running around first century Palestine saying, love your enemies. There were not a lot of people living under the bondage of Roman occupation who were going around teaching people to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But that's what Jesus said. He said, you know, anybody's going to love folks who love them Gentiles do that. People don't even believe in, in the God of Israel. Tax collectors will do that. Immoral people, the lowest dregs of society, as most Jews would look at them. But he said, I'm telling you to love even your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Why, he said. Because it's like God. When you love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, he says you're being like your father in heaven because he makes the rain fall on the just and on the unjust. He does good things for people who deserve it and people who don't. He gives his blessings to people that most of us would not think God ought to bless. But he does it anyway. He doesn't show partiality. Now, that doesn't mean he loved everybody equally because he had a special love for Israel, didn't he? He has a special love for the righteous, the Bible tells us. But he does love everybody, and he wants what's best for everybody. And Jesus said, if you want to be like God, then you love even your enemies. And he says, when you do that, he says, then you will be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And we read that and go, oh, my goodness. Wish he hadn't said that. But he's not talking about moral perfection. I'm persuaded that he's not. Because there's no way you and I are going to be morally perfect no matter who all we love. We're still not going to be perfect. But the word perfect there is used in the sense of wholeness. Completeness. When you love even your enemies and you pray for those who persecute you, then you are having a whole love, a complete love, like God's love. That's what he's talking about. That's the kind of perfection that he's talking about. But still, you know, people heard that and hear it now. How in the world do you go about loving your enemy? How do you do that? Well, understand that Jesus is not so much talking about emotional love, not about how you feel about people, as much as what you wish for them and what you are willing to do for them. You know, you can do good things for people you really don't like. You can. You might have to make yourself do it, but you can do it. You can do good things for people who wouldn't do a good thing for you if you gave them a million dollars. But you can still do good things for them. You can still do right by them. You can still resolve in your heart that you will not harm them and that you will do good to them if you have the opportunity and if they are in need. There's an interesting little law in uh, uh, the book of Exodus that says if you come across your, your neighbor's donkey 
and it's loaded down with a load, and he's fallen under that load, don't walk on by. You help your neighbor get him up. Now, I've never gotten up a donkey. <laughs> but I have a feeling it's probably not the most pleasant task in the world. Especially a donkey who's already said, I'm done for the day. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to lie down here under this load until somebody feeds me. But you've got to come along. And this is your enemy's donkey. You don't care if this guy gets where he's going with his load or not. But Jesus, uh, the law of Moses said, if you come across that and you see that, you help him get that donkey up. You get in that dirty job with him. Don't just walk on by. That's loving your enemy. It doesn't mean you walk away saying, boy, I like that guy now. In fact, I'll bet if you help him get the donkey up, you're going to like him less. But you're loving him because you're not leaving him in a bad situation. You're helping him out of a bad situation. And that's loving your neighbor. That's loving even your enemy. Here's how Paul put it in Romans 12, beginning in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. First time I ever read that about the burning coals, I thought, that's the key. That's how you get him. You do something nice for him, and God will drag him into judgment. That's not what he's talking about. If somebody's been mean to you, somebody's been hateful to you, somebody's been rude to you, you do something kind for them, the shame the shame that comes on them. And not that you want them to feel shame, but this is how you turn their heart. This is how you change them from an enemy into a friend. So the coals aren't about judgment. The coals are about bringing shame and turning an enemy into a friend. Hopefully that's what happens. No guarantee. But the obligation is the same. Now, if you live that way, it's going to make you different from the world around you. That's okay. Remember how we got into all this in 2 Timothy chapter 3? What did Paul say? That in the last days, people would be what? Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, and not lovers of God. So what does it mean then to be different in that way? You and I are living in a time when love for other people, for one another, is sadly, sadly lacking. There is so much strife and so much animosity and so much hatred and so much bad feeling among people. There are racial tensions and there are societal divisions and there is political disagreement and there are the culture wars which really have turned into wars. And people are divided up on all these sides, and it's us against them. And we just, we kind of feel like you got enemies all over the place. So you think, what, what do we do? What do we do? How do we fight this war? Jesus says, by loving your enemies. That's where you and I come in and are expected to be different. That's where you and I 
are expected to uphold a different standard. That's where you and I are expected to fulfill the whole law by loving God and loving other people, even our enemies. Jesus calls us to be different. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul said, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind by testing that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's how we're supposed to live. That's supposed to be our goal. So let me take you back to our original question. How many people do you love? More importantly, is there anybody right now that you are refusing to love? Are you living your life with goodwill toward everyone you know, even toward those who don't love you? Are you loving as God loves? Can people see in you a difference from others in the world because you love people no matter who they are? Can people see the difference Jesus makes? The first commandment is love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbors yourself, no matter who your neighbor is. Let's stand together and sing.